Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. I am very, very excited and we're all very lucky about this podcast. So I would like to thank Joanna Rothman and Mark Kilby for taking time out of your day. Well, thank you. This is, it's always so much fun to talk with you. Absolutely. Thanks, Dave, for having us. And on behalf of the universe, I would like to thank you for writing this book that you've written because everyone asks these questions, everyone has these problems, and there's not a lot out there to help us figure out how to solve it. So without giving too much, I I don't want to give it away. Could either one of you (laughs) present and tell us what this book is and why you wrote it? Johanna, why don't you start? Oh, okay. Okay. So at Agile 2017, I was wandering to the last session in the morning. And Mark was also wandering to the last session. I looked at him and I said, Mark, did you see anything good about distributed agile teams? He said, "Mm, not really, because he's much nicer than I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, want to write a book? And he kind of looked at me and got that, um, write a book with you? What do you mean? Actually, I think it, I think it was about a a millisecond pause, not that long of a pause. I went, <laughs> yes, let's do this. And so that's when we decided. I had been noodling this around for a year or two. I mean, I always start to write the book before I write the book. Right. Um, so I'd been noodling this, and I thought, wouldn't it be nice to write this book? with somebody who's also an expert in distributed agile teams. And we could also write the book as a distributed pair so that we were living what we were teaching. And this is the double loop, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Can can you explain? Cause that's a term that I've only heard. I don't know if it's just me, but I've only heard that recently. And um, in the past week, I think yours was the second time I encountered it in the same week. And I was able to figure out what it actually was. But how would you describe the double loop? So you mean double loop learning, right? Yeah, yeah. So you challenge your assumptions about the product because you get fast feedback. And you challenge your assumptions about the process because you get fast feedback. But in in your case, you're using what you're writing about, testing it as you're writing the book in a distributed team. Yeah. 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 Well, and so so this is where I'll jump in. And it goes back a little bit further for me, Dave, because I have been practicing agile, you know, since since the books came out, I went, wow, this is great. I dove in, you know, head first, not feet first. And but I always ended up with these teams where somebody was remote. And yeah. I thought, this is wrong. This can't be this can't be this can't be the right way to do it. You but have to be co-located. You have to be co-located, <laughs> right. But but the funny thing was, this weird phrase kept sticking in my head called inspect and adapt. Okay. And it's like, wait a minute. If I'm truly agile, there's got to be some way for me to inspect and adapt to make this work. Yeah. And eventually, I would find ways or I would I would work with colleagues to find some way for us to connect and stay connected as a team, whether it was one person remote or a subgroup remote or the teams I work with now where everybody's remote. Okay. So, so it's, it's, it's really kind of, and that's why we went back to principles in the book and it's going back to really first principles in agile to say, all right, there are some ways you can make this work. It's not going to work in all situations, but there are some ways to make this 
work and work well, especially with what we have available as far as better bandwidth and some better tools, but it's not about the tools. It's okay. How we, how we try to connect with each other. Okay. So who, so given all that, like who, who have you written a book for? So we were thinking of the leaders in the team. Okay. So as primarily, sometimes they're called scrum masters. Sometimes they're called coaches. Sometimes they're called technical leads. Sometimes they're called managers. Sometimes they're the people who say, you know, an agile approach would be really good for us if we could do it. Right. right. So you don't even have to have a named leader. Right. And of course, um, we also have a chapter for for people whose titles are manager. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes it's about people who had a choice in being distributed and those okay. who did not have a choice in being distributed. And so we tried to write for both of those audiences as well. If you're, if you're, if you're, there and trying to be more agile as a distributed team, or if you are an agile team that by some circumstance you are now partially or fully distributed. Yeah. How do you deal with that? How do you make that shift? Okay. I mean, for me, like when I was, I think I was reading it or have been reading it from a couple different points of view. One is as somebody who's a member of a company that's hundred percent distributed and who works on projects, volunteer projects in distributed teams, yeah, um, and also as a scrum trainer because I get people ask me these questions all the time, um, and I and I have only the answers my own experience. But I think that what you guys, I I was just really grateful going through it because the answers that you gave had a lot of clarity to it. And every time I'd get to one, I'd be like, "Yeah, well, they're never going to help." Crap, there's the answer for that. <laughs> that. That was especially the time zone thing. I was I was all excited. Yeah, yeah there's no answer. God, they have an answer for that too. Um, <laughs> So before I, we start digging into that, could you explain what you, how you define a distributed team? Because that, that was very interesting to me as well. Mark, do you want to take yeah, this one? Yeah, so okay. I'll, I'll jump in. So it's, 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 it's going back to some of those uh, original studies that we looked at, um, such as the Allen curve and others that have been quoted actually many times. Uh, but it's it's really whenever you have individuals more than about 30 meters apart, you start to be distributed. So that means you could be in the same building and still yeah. be distributed. You don't have to be in a different city or a different, different time zone. If it's not easy for you to turn around and talk to the person next to you, you you are now really part of a distributed team. And that that was... You know, that was a, that was a, we, we understood that as we wrote the book, but as we started to write more about it, we, we realized all these techniques we were using work just as well for those people in the same campus, but are spread out yeah. as it did for people who were multiple time zones apart. So one of the things would... that Jim Benson said one time to me was that in the work that he had done, he found the poorest performing distributed teams were separated by only one single flight of stairs. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's because everybody thinks that they're co-located. <laughs> yeah. They're not. Because yeah. who's gonna go up and down the stairs? Yeah. Every I mean, and it's not just I don't want to do it for the exercise. That's not it. It's the fact that you have to get up, 
change your context, incur mm -hmm. the, the cost of multitasking, and then somebody interrupts you on the way, and you realize you need a cup of coffee, and you start to look over there, it's now 20 Smart. minutes. Yeah, it's 20 minutes, and you have not yet finished going down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. And shouldn't the other person really come to you anyway? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, okay. I always want I always want steps on my Fitbit. So, okay. but yeah. <laughs> um, now you talked about different types of distributed teams. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I'll I'll jump in on that on that okay. one. Um, so, as as I had worked with different teams over the years, I was noticing some patterns. And then when Johanna and I compared notes, she, she was seeing some of the same things. So I, I tend, I tended to introduce a little bit of a, a space um, theme to this, but you can think of one, one type of team where you have almost everyone in the same location, actually co-located, but you might have, one or two people, maybe three that are remote. They might work from home or it might be somebody who's significant other, got a great job in another town, but you didn't want to lose that valued employee. So you say, okay, we're going to let you work remote. Uh, but, but they're always connected elsewhere. And so those, those are what we refer to as the satellite teams. You've got the main body of the team in one location, okay. but you've got satellites kind of out there uh, working around the team. A second type, which is more common for the larger organizations, is when you have subgroups of the team in different locations. And so we refer to this as clusters. Okay. And then a third type is what has become a little bit more common, I would say, in the last five to seven years. And that's where everyone works remotely. So where I'm at right now and my my company, that's the case where all the coaches, all the developers, yeah. all the documentation people work out of their homes. And that's what we refer to as a nebula team. They're, they're spaced out. They're all over the place. Okay. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's, there's variations on that that we talk about in the book. But those are the three basic types. Johanna, I didn't know if you wanted to add anything to that. So, Dave, you work in a nebula team. Yes. Because all of you are totally dispersed. Yep. And, and I happen, when Mark introduced me to this satellite cluster and nebula um, framing, I thought, that's exactly it. We, we now bring in the ideas of space and time into the names of the team type. Yeah. yeah. So I, oh, good. Well, so, and I was going to say, there's, there's other articles and books that we'll talk about distributed, dispersed, and people get all mixed up on the D words and what yeah. they mean. And that's why we find this an easier way to describe it and talk about what are, what are the different approaches you can take with these different types of teams. Okay. Now, would you, there was a team that I worked with in Seattle where they were um, all co-located except for Thursday. They had work from home Thursday and it was a disaster every time. Like they tried to do a stand up via email and, you know, it just didn't work. But is that a thing too? Would you consider that a distributed team where it's like at temporary points they become distributed? 
Absolutely. And if they set themselves up so that they could work as a distributed team 100% of the time, they right. would have had distributed Thursday be a success. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I am pretty sure that they do what a lot of my clients used to do and what, what some of them still do, which is assume that they're always co-located. Assume everybody has all the tools and the bandwidth and everything that they need. Assume everyone can see the board. Yeah. Yep. Which isn't always the case. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I have like 50 questions just from the first three chapters, but I'm <laughs> going to try to limit them and focus them a little bit. Um, so now that we've talked about different types of distributed teams, could you explain the difference between what you call a group and what you call a team? Because that I think is another thing that people are going to be a little bit stuck on. If the, I mean, I was, I would not have thought of it that way until I read the book. Mm-hmm. So thinking about whether or not you actually have an agile team, an agile team affiliates with each other. They have one team goal. They have all the skills and, and capabilities they need as a team. They have um, interdependent work. So it really matters what each of them is doing at any given time. A group of people, they probably don't have a lot of affiliation. They probably don't have one single goal. They have multiple goals. And that takes them away from the work of the team. So Mark, do you want to add more here? Yes, yeah, so, uh, a more practical uh, example, and, and Dave, you'll probably relate to this. When, when you are working with a group with a similar skill set, say agile coaches. Sure. Uh, and you're working together, but are you really working together or on like with the same client or are you working across different clients? So in that case, you know, if you're working across different clients, are you a group or a team? I would say you're probably more of a group, uh, hopefully sharing the learnings across that. Uh, so any kind of service-based work like that and we we talk a about that a little bit in in chapter three yeah if, if you have a support kind of base team it's the same kind of idea they you might have people that are handling support calls and support issues but are they really a team are they working together on that one uh, for that one client so if they are then that's probably more of a team but if it's different individuals different experts working on on separate problems, separate goals, then it's a group. So can I, I want to kind of riff on that example for a second. Yeah. And this is because this, even though it seems, I think on the surface level, like a fairly simple thing, this was pretty impactful for me when I, when I got to this part. If I think about, let's say it's a support team, that maybe they're all working for one client and they're all fixing different bugs. So everybody's at home, they're all each working on a separate issue. It's all for the same client, but they're all working independently. I would say that's a group. But if I have an entire a group of people who are swarming on something together, let's say a server outage, they're all trying to solve the problem together, that's a team. I and, would agree with you. Yeah. And they're okay. dependent on each other to solve right. the problem. Yeah. This was, this was a, huge, um, a huge thing for me in terms of how I think of it and how I think about the interaction. And I don't know if it's... It, again, it, it seemed like kind of simple at a surface level, but when I really thought about it, it had a huge impact on me. Um, 
so thank you for thank you one for in kind of creating that awareness but also for helping me see it and talking through it here um one of the so for the people that are going to read the book one of the big challenges if you read it electronically is there's links all over the place and the hard part for me <laughs> is not clicking like there will be a thing i have a question about that and i want to click on the link to jump ahead but it's I'm, I'm trying to force myself to read the whole way through because it's almost like choose your own adventure. I mean, there's so many different ways you've got things tied together. It's really, really, I think very helpful if you're looking for a quick answer. Was that sort of the intention? Yeah. And part of it is that an agile approach is really a system. I, I mean, Mark and I talked about this. We, we actually had one, one of our meetings, which said, how many of these links do we keep? Because we actually had more. We we actually took out many links out. But oh, wow. it, was, it was hard for us to do that because it, there are so many interrelated concepts. Yeah. It's, so it's, yeah. And when you think about an agile system of work, yeah. then if you if you don't have the ability to collaborate, what does that do to your working agreements and your meetings? And if you do have the ability, can you change how you approach working agreements and meetings? Just, just as an example. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, and I was going to say, it, it, it reminds me of the, the very first Agile book that I read, Extreme Programming Explained. Yes, there's individual practices, but what made sense in that book was how they all interrelated. And so we 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 realized there was that same kind of interrelationship there, but at the same time, we also realized it it could be a little challenging to do the choose your own adventure as you described it because there were many possibilities. So yeah, it, that's the thing. It's it's. I mean, every every link in there is going to provide me with an answer, and I want all of those answers at once. And that is <laughs> forcing yeah. myself to have a little bit of restraint. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 promise if you read it cover to cover, you'll get the answers. Well, yeah, and yes. I'm getting answers anyway. Like that's the thing. It's like there's all the answers, and they're all like one after, and I want all of them at once in my head at the same time. And that's the point. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so can we talk briefly about the time zone thing? Because that I have my answer for that has always been you're screwed. Like the time zone thing, you can't fix it. If you've got Australia and Dallas, yeah, somebody's got to stay up. Um, but you've got a much healthier way of responding to that or addressing to that that you explain in the book and i'm wondering if for the folks that are listening that are looking for something like the magic answer this isn't a magic answer but it will get you a lot closer yeah. if, if, if you'd be willing to sort of share some of this okay so the first thing is really to say how many hours of overlap do i have as a team right if we look at everybody all together and they're their normal regular hours of work. And maybe maybe they're willing to, to flex a little bit to start earlier and flex a little bit to stay later on a regular basis. What are our regular hours of overlap? And in our experience, as long as you have four or more hours of overlap, you can really make an agile approach work. And go ahead, Mark, are you? Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna jump in. Sorry, couldn't. Okay. <laughs> so, so also if you keep the team small, so 
we're we're talking smaller than the seven plus or minus two. Uh, if so, if, if you go with uh, five person teams, four person teams, even three person teams, which will probably make some uncomfortable. But if you if you have a small number of people uh, on the team, you have fewer differences uh, in in time overlap to deal with, and also if you start them off properly where they get a get a sense of each other's preferences not just who has supporting skill sets but what are their preferences so who's a night owl who likes to get up early in the morning and preferably, that was going to be one of my next questions yep yep so 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 if you if you can figure that out and oh here's a novel idea why don't you let the team set their core hours and not somebody outside the team set those yeah so if you let the team figure out what are the four or five hours that we think are going to work best for us, not somebody outside of the team to do that, not to, to sync up with some other larger organization. Instead, do what makes sense for the team, because that's what's going to make it easiest for them, not asking them to stay up at some awful hours or, or late, late into their night. So if you can, if, if you can get a small enough team with sufficient hours of overlap and let them set their core hours so that it works best for all of them on the team. Yeah. You can have successful agile teams in the distributed setting. Okay. Can I have two follow-up questions now? Of course. One is a very personal question based on, cause this is where I was going to go with the night owl thing. So I am a night owl. I am somebody who, when I'm not teaching, often even when I am teaching, I don't go to bed till like two or three o'clock in the morning. Um, Cause that's the time of day when I thrive is late at night. And so early morning is, it's not a good place for me. And I work at a company with a bunch of larks who like to have meetings at like seven <laughs> o'clock in the morning. And, oh, and I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm just, yeah. I'm not doing that. Um, now I can listen to recordings of those calls, but for somebody in my situation on a distributed team, it does make it very challenging to participate yeah, and be a part of things. So do you, there, I mean, I'm assuming there's not like a magic answer for this either, but what, how could you coach me or what, what advice would you give to me? I would suggest that you ask the rest of your team to establish working agreements. I, I mean, I am an early morning person, but I am not as early as, <laughs> Your colleagues. I'm not even as early as Mark, right? right? This yeah. Mark, as opposed to my husband, Mark, right? My husband, Mark, gets up at 6 a.m. every day. I roll back over. I get up at 6.30 or quarter seven, and I am not available, really not available for a 7 a.m. meeting Yeah. Unless, unless I have really, uh, unless I have a client somewhere in the world where that's really the best possible time. But, oh, I mean, when I think, Mark, you and I had a couple of earlier meetings and I ate my yeah. breakfast as we yep. were. And you asked if that was okay. And I said, sure. But I, I remember when we first started organizing for the work on the book, we hadn't started writing yet. And we started talking about our working agreements. And I said, well, I'm, I'm usually up 435 in the morning. So if you want to oh start at God. seven and I got the, the famous Johanna Rothman eye roll. Yeah. <laughs> I just, that's just not right. I, 
Hey, hey, staying up till two in the morning, not right for me. But yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the point. That's the point is you've got to you've got to ask those questions of your your team. If you're if you're working toward the same goal, you've got to work through those working agreements. You have to, especially in this situation. Well, and I think this is another place where the size becomes an issue because there is a working agreement that was made, but I wasn't part of it because oh, yeah, the yeah. majority of the company, I mean, I'm like, you know, the only CSTA, the majority of the folks at the company are coaches and, and they have to be on site by like eight, nine o'clock in the morning. So it is the best yeah. time for all of them. And yep. so in that case, I would say, you know, this is really on, I, I feel like it's on me. I'm going to have to figure out my own way through that to do yeah. part of stuff. Well, so, so another part, and I'm not saying this to you, but I'm talking about others who might be in, in difficult situations as far as their, their time zone. If, if their organization is large enough, they might explore being on another team that might be a little more compatible to their time zones to say, Hey, I've, I've got ways I can contribute, but it's really hard for me. It, it physically wears on me to be working at the collaboration time. This team is requiring, is there somewhere else I can, I can be my most productive and, and deliver the most value for my organization. And that's yeah. a, that's a serious question that, you know, some people should ask themselves if they're in, you know, extremes of their work hours. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, the way that I cope with it is I just try to spend a little bit of extra time watching the videos, listening to the calls, just keeping up with things and reaching out to people when I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what if there is no overlap? What if it is like Dallas and Australia? So my, my first answer is, can you get people together for a week and say, how could we work if we could work together, right? So see if there's a way. Maybe maybe people are ready to time shift or time split, although we do not suggest that as a regular thing. Yeah, you didn't seem you didn't seem huge fans of that in the book. Oh Which God, we, no. To me, that's like I guess maybe it's because I'm a night owl. That I'm all fine with that. See, and that's why personal preferences are so important. Yeah. Because you, you, until until your team has a conversation about not only what's what's important for you as far as work preferences, but maybe maybe you have certain interests outside of work. Maybe you have family members, and you might like to see them occasionally at a normal time. <laughs> yeah. You know? So you you've got to have conversations around that as well. Yeah. So that's that's important. Okay. Thank you. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. You mentioned that you wrote um, part of this book for people with the word manager in their title. Um, what is the message that you're trying to convey to people in a leadership role about having teams that are not co-located? So you can certainly have teams where the people are not co-located. And if you do that, make sure that you're still using the agile approaches of flow efficiency and collaboration. That if you're not thinking about how people as a team collaborate, you won't get the value of an agile approach. And if you are, if you are thinking still in terms of resource efficiency, that will just create all kinds of costs, right? A lot of what we hear about 
distributed agile teams is that everything takes quote too long everything yeah. costs quote too much and that's because um, the organization is focusing on resource efficiency how to make every single person more productive instead of coming up a level to the team and they're not thinking about collaboration what are the opportunities how do I encourage collaboration in this team? And another way that you might put that is, if you're gonna ask your teams to work differently, you might have to lead differently. Oh, that's good. All right, so this, I was all fine until you said that now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had a whole next question. I'm just gonna go to my next question. Okay. Which is a little bit off track, but I wanna see, this is something that has been cropping up for me recently. You talked about flow efficiency, and and I think if if I was a leader who was looking to optimize resources, you know, treat people like they were working in a Ford factory back in the day, um, that I can see where they would approach work like that because that's what they were taught to do. Yeah. If we're focused on flow, do you think that there might evolve some kind of role where I don't want to say project manager because that's not how I'm thinking of it, but maybe like a flow scientist or somebody whose job it is to pay attention to how stuff is traveling through the system and to come up with experiments to run and to make suggestions about efficiencies and things like that to help the team or the organization find ways to create a structure that optimize or creates a space for flow to optimize. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about an environment. So I have very strong opinions about this. I'm shocked to hear that. I am, I I am shocked too. <laughs> that I have strong opinions about anything. Um, uh, I believe that especially when a team is new to an agile approach, they need some kind of a facilitator. Yeah. I don't care if you call that facilitator an agile project manager, a scrum master, a coach, whatever you do, whatever you want to call it, that's fine with me. Okay. If an organization also really wants to use an agile approach, the managers need need some kind of facilitator. And often what we find is that the middle managers are totally left out of the training that yeah. they don't they don't understand what an agile approach means to them and so the senior managers don't don't realize that they're actually collaborating as a senior management team and the senior managers separate all these MBOs and OKRs um, objectives and key results look like MBOs anyway for the middle managers and then everyone is surprised that the agile approach doesn't really work so if you are if you're thinking about using an agile approach for uh, for your distributed teams um, the last chapter we have in here is your your leadership mindset for how you would how you would model this collaboration and hours of overlap and communication and assuming good intent all that stuff and that we need we really need people to focus on the technical excellence in the teams and that's that's a huge part of the flow right that flow management position that you're thinking of um, and we need it for management excellence in the managers so i'm not sure that we need a literally a flow coach i would okay. hope 
than anybody coaching an agile team has an understanding of what flow means for an agile team. Okay. Now I realize I realize that my hope is not borne out in practice, but that's fine. But wait, here's here's a crazy idea. Rather yeah. than have a role, what if you were to actually collaborate with other managers on this? Yeah. <laughs> so what if what if what if you got together with your fellow managers and looked at the flow not only for the teams you have, but across that, which is Within what I'm doing with some of my some of the organizations I'm in right now. So we, we, we band together. It's this funny word called mobbing. And we, and we kind of, we kind of mob on the solution of how do we monitor the flow across our teams? How do we know when a tr team is in trouble or not versus the team might be working through something. So it's not immediately, you know, you know, alarm bells. If, if something takes a dip, how do we right. know, Okay, the team's in the learning phase. Things are going to dip down for a little bit. We're okay with that. We'll 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 have a certain point where we'll look to jump in, but let's let the teams try to self-organize their way through this. Um, that means you cannot judge a team by its velocity in terms of story points. Yep. Because anytime a team learns something, their their story points are going to go wacko. Um, you might even not be able to judge a team by their cycle time because mm -hmm. if they're learning, their cycle time might slow down. Yep. So it's really, it's really a question of how do, you, how do you create, inspect and adapt at the team level, which is what the retrospective is supposed to do. This right. is part of the double loop learning. And if the teams are, are talking about their flow efficiency, if they're talking about their collaboration, now they have a real shot of of making this right okay so you're both still very much in the idea of empowering or i'm so careful trying to be so careful about the word empowering you're trusting in the people to find the path yeah instead of having one person whose job it is to study the team on the path and say hey try this try that something like that unless so they were to choose that well, yeah, I mean, it's possible for an outsider to be able to um, to look and assess a situation. I actually performed that service for many of my clients, but I'm not- It doesn't not make your clients stronger. Pardon? It doesn't make them stronger. They don't learn to see it themselves if you're the one pointing it out to them. Well, they might they might see it then, right? but it's unless I then teach them how to see this, then they can't. Uh, you can't see me. I'm doing circles with my finger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that the loop, the loop to be the whole open loop. jazz hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a closed loop system. It's an open loop system. Okay. That's why we have the value stream maps in, okay. in that chapter, um, yeah. chapter three, because we thought this is a way to help really, to really help people see what's happening in their system. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and I for, found the value stream maps very helpful, by the way. Yeah. And for, well, and to, to kind of continue on that, what, what if the, the managers not only helped others see the flow, but helped each other? So in other words, the one that gets it starts teaching the next one about flow. So it's not just leaning on a consultant like Johanna or, 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 or somebody else, it's, 
how how do you get the organization to to kind of spread the learning around yeah. so that everyone is starting to understand, oh, this is how flow works. And what do you set in place so that learning keeps going throughout the organization? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so, uh, so I was going to say on some of my teams, I've got team members that can monitor flow on other teams. Yes, there is a manager that's doing that, but they are collaborating across the teams to say, Oh, what are you learning from this metric or what are you seeing? Okay. Yeah. Which is helping the whole organization get stronger. Yep. Yep. Okay, okay, cool. Um, I have two more questions for you and they're both unrelated. Um, <laughs> one of them is one I get in class all the time and I don't, I don't, I mean, I have some answers to this, but I'm, I'm sure you guys have much better ones. If I have a distributed team and let's say I'm, a, I'm playing a scrum master role. One of the things I'm always trying to get across to the to people in my CSM classes is you're the steward of the culture. And whether these people are all from one company or they're from seven different companies and they're all distributed when they're together, you have to get them to see themselves as we, not I, not a bunch yeah. of eyes. Yeah. And that can be very challenging if they are distributed and they are from different cultures. And so people are always asking me like, what, what can I do to get them to respect each other's culture and to want to be friends and to want to kind of hang out and do stuff because it's hard to do. And I've been at companies where they have that like virtual happy hour thing. And I'm always like, you know, I can drink by myself in my house anytime. Like I don't need help doing that. <laughs> grew up in an Irish home. That's fine. But a lot of people that would work, I mean, I've done like, played video games and done online collaborative stuff. But what, what do you recommend that people do to create that, not necessarily about the work, but the, that outer loop of cohesiveness around the uh, team identity? Do you want to start? I'm going to jump in. On okay. It. So, okay. So th this is something uh, I work on all the time. Uh, it, so in, you'll, you'll go into some organizations that are remote and people are used to working kind of in their own single silos. And, and it's, it can be tough, especially if you're new to the organization as a, as a scrum master or a coach, but you've got to find a way to connect people beyond the work, outside of the work. So short story, one company I went into, I, I had one-on-ones with each team member with this one particular team. Some conversations were, you know, nice kind of get to know you kind of things. Others were like five minutes because some of the team members were just very introverted and, yeah. and that's okay. So I started looking at, okay, how else can I connect with them? Well, there was one thing that came out of, of that particular uh, set of conversations was our meetings are too long. I said, oh, I can solve that problem. So I basically facilitated the heck out of it. <laughs> and, and every meeting ended up early. And every time I would apologize and say, I am so sorry, we finished this meeting 15 minutes early. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it back to you. And then, then I started adding other things to, to the finale, so to speak. So I would use different movie quotes or different TV quotes to see who would respond to some of these just to find oh, some kind of connection. You just opened a whole new can of worms, my friend. <laughs> but so finally, so finally one day I, 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 I ended it with the phrase, and on that bombshell, which if you've ever listened to the show Top Gear UK, you would immediately connect to that. Well, I had Europeans on this one team. The most quiet person 
after that particular stand-up, when I used that phrase, reached out to me immediately after he goes, was that from Top Gear? I love that show. I got, okay. a, I got a connection. And so I, I started finding out how can I connect people? So to kind of expand on that, some people or uh, some companies will use like the water cooler channel or the lounge or something like that. Yeah. Why not expand that into special interest groups? If you see a lot of chatter uh, in, in that kind of water cooler thing about uh, water cooler channel about gaming or pets or something, why not spin off a separate channel and say, okay, let's kind of get to know a little bit more about your pet or what games you're into. Maybe it's board okay. games. And you start to connect people in ways that they normally would if they bumped into each other in the lunchroom or the hallway. And now as they get opportunities to kind of move around the organization, they not only know the person by their skill sets, but they know them because, oh yeah, you've got that, that cool dog. I saw the picture online and they start connecting in other ways. Okay. So there's, there's all kinds of ways that you, you can try to connect people beyond the work. So I, sorry, I get really passionate about this one and say, yes, there are ways. You just got to inspect and adapt and okay. <laughs> figure out how to do it. So I've been on one place, uh, well, actually the place I am now, we, there's a, a book club and that for me has been a powerful way. Yeah. To get to other Those films. are good too. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. All right. Well, we're going to later on, Mark, we're going to talk about social tokens because that's a big thing for me. That's cool. That's the movie quote. I'm into yep. that. Yep. Um, what did you guys cut out of the book? Because I, I'm sure you had to edit some things out. And, <laughs> and that would be like a really wonderful way to end. If we can throw in something that isn't in the book, some special little piece to only get from this podcast. So uh, I think we cut maybe a book and a half, maybe two books out of the book. Uh, it's hard to say. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Now. yeah, yeah. So it, we've, we've been kicking around ideas about another book. Uh, Johanna has also been nudging me about writing my own. Uh, she's well, to- excuse me. Excuse me. I must say this. Did you just hear the master facilitator talking about social tokens? Did you just hear that? Sorry. Continue. And that's Johanna Nudgy. Okay. So, uh, so sorry. So one of the, a lot of the, a lot of things that we cut out and we still get many questions on when we do podcasts and we, we do talks is how do I facilitate this meeting? How do I facilitate that meeting? And so that's, that's possibly the next book. I'm starting to work on some of that. Uh, I'm starting to put together some talks uh, around that as well, because that's that's also what some of these team leaders are struggling with is how do I make this kind of meeting work that I'm used to conducting in a conference room or a team room? Yeah. How do I make this work online? So that's that's the next thing that's coming. Right, from Mark. Okay. Yes, for me. And from you. That's gonna be so I am <laughs> You've yeah. already written like three other books, right? Well, I'm I'm um, way more. <laughs> I have I have my management myths book and one thing one of the things we took out of this book was all of the myths that we had heard about geographically distributed teams. Okay. And I'm not using any of those in the myths books that I will be publishing. I'm calling them the modern management mindset. But I'm also slowly working on an agile management book because what what you saw here 
right? We're talking about the system of the of an agile organization. Yeah. This is not scaling agile. This is not any of that. Um, how can I say this nicely? None of that. People all know who you are. You don't have to say it nicely. Okay. You know how you it's feel not, about scaling. It, well, and it's it's nothing you can get with a certification. It really is a way of thinking about your organizational culture. Okay. So that, I mean, if, you, if we had a, a different talk, Dave, about your organizational culture, it would yeah. be really different than almost any you know 99% of any of your clients absolutely cuz you guys are so far ahead on on how how people contribute individually and as a team and how you bring people together i mean yeah you guys are way way ahead of that so i think it's really important that we we think about how do we help the entire agile movement move forward yeah. without saying we don't need managers we don't need as many, but they probably do different things, but we still need them. So I think that's really, so there's a thing that I always feel like where a lot of the thought leaders, it's like they've worked through a problem and they've moved further down the path and they're just kind of looking back on, come on, please, co-located teams. Well, how is that even a question anymore? And the rest <laughs> of the world's like, wait, it's not in my Gantt chart. Like they don't even understand the idea of that yet. And there does yeah. need to be this kind of like agile bodhisattva role where somebody's got to hang back and help everybody else because just because somebody figured something out doesn't mean the rest of the world figured it out. Well, and it's it's actually different for almost every organization. Yeah. There are some things that are in common and mm-hmm. there are some things that are that are going to vary. So one of the nice thing about what Mark just did in his master facilitation just before was he gave you at least two, possibly three alternatives. I, the first alternative was finishing the meeting. Well, the first thing was what, it, what, it, what makes everybody crazy, which was long meetings. So we figured out how to set the meeting to make the meeting shorter and then he did this social connection thing and mark did i miss something else that you had done well act basically acting on the team's implicit request by getting all that one feedback i and i i actually part i didn't share is you know i heard from everybody that one theme was i i didn't we didn't like long meetings. So I'm going to try to help with that. So I, I set the public intention that I'm going to make the meeting shorter. I'm going to find ways to help you with that. And so we, we put a lot of structure around the meetings to make them more efficient and shorter. And then we kind of let go of some of that structure as people wanted to experiment with the meetings again. Well, and you unite them, you start out by uniting them all against a common threat or a common enemy, which is right. boring, sucky meetings. Yeah. Yep. And, and so what so what you heard, though, it, what he said was at least three options that anybody could choose. Yeah. And that's that's the kind of thing we have to do for management, because not everything, not everything is going to be the same in every organization. It's just not. And to me, that's one of the, uh, the things about the book that is so I mean, reading through it. I, I was sort of expecting you to just kind of lay out like, this is how you make it work. But the way that you present it with the different options and the fact that you've anticipated the questions people are going to have and answer them like right after the question would pop into their head. Um, 
it's it is very it's written in a way that's kind of in in keeping with that idea to me it's 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 an aid it's something you could read all the way through but it's also something that i'm expecting to be going back to you know for specific pinpointing specific things to try to find fixes for them yeah. oh yay so that's i well thank you i want to say thank you that was the goal <laughs> thank you to both of you and i'm going to tell all my students to buy this book especially whenever they ask this question i'm just going to point at the book, <laughs> <laughs> <Part of> the <laughs> book. i'm not thank answering you. it they already did so the book is called from chaos to successful distributed agile teams before we go i know you both have lots of stuff going on um so johanna do you want to go first and talk about it whatever you've got coming up and where people <laughs> should go because there's like three or four different websites and you have all these projects and like 50 books what do you want people to pay attention to i only have one website that's not true i got no, two no it's not it's right not true <laughs> I, it's not adaptable life oh oh, oh <laughs> all right okay all right fine so um okay so everything that I think of as quote professional end of quote is on jrothman.com. Okay. And my personal approach to actually living an agile life um, is is create createadaptablelife.com. It's how I live with vertigo and I ask a question of the week and I'm uh, I I do a monthly newsletter for that. Okay. And I am um, in the process of figuring out how to get all my online workshops up and running kind of uh, on a regular basis. So I do online workshops and I am, I guess I should talk about my fiction. I started to write fiction. And wow. I know all of my women. Oh, she exhausts me. Yeah. She <laughs> so I, I write about quirky, smart women. I know you're so surprised. <laughs> So, um, and I've been selling a bunch of stories. I don't have any novels. I'm focusing on short stories because what a surprise. I get feedback a lot faster. Okay. This is awesome. And you write a ton. So I'm also going to include a link to the, um, the previous interviews that we've done at the conferences and stuff, especially the one from last summer where we talked about the writing process that the two of you used. Because so I think that might be a real, of interest to folks. Thank you. Uh, all right. And Mark? So um, I will be speaking at Mile High Agile as well as the Agile 2019 conference on facilitating your distributed team. So you'll start to get some previews of what may be coming in the next book. Okay. And uh, of all those online courses that Johanna was referring to, we are looking at how do we take our book content into an online course. Yeah. Oh, cool. Great. Yeah. Okay, and I want to make sure to include links to your Twitter and everything so folks can follow follow up with you there as well. Yeah. Um, thank you both for doing this. It's always really fun to talk to you, but I appreciate you and I'm grateful to you for taking time out of your afternoon. Oh, thank well, you. thank you. This was a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm.